0: Uh, this is a News Radio 1440 podcast. Good evening, everybody, and thank you so much for being with us here on Tactics, where speech isn't violence, tolerance isn't love, and disagreement isn't hate. Thank you for being on the program with us this evening. We always appreciate you choosing to be with us no matter what day or what time you choose to do so. You can watch this live, you can watch it later. We're just glad that you chose to watch the program tonight, but if you have been somebody that is a regular on the program, you know that Wednesday night is typically the night that we do something that's a little bit more existential, a little bit more worldview than specific to a particular news story, and tonight is really going to be no different, so to give you a little bit of backdrop, a little bit of understanding on where I'm coming from on this I had people asking me about Black Lives Matter and exactly why I oppose it. Now, I've already done several explanations of it. I've talked about the organization itself and that even though I do acknowledge that there are some people that don't even realize Black Lives Matter even is an organization, they still are knowingly or unknowingly supporting that organization by doing this. And so... Uh, even though I don't ascribe any kind of ill intent to them, I do think that it's important that they know that, they understand that, and they understand that the people running this movement are absolutely being taken in by wolves in sheep's clothing. And this actually kind of reached its head today when it turns out that in Indiana, a Catholic priest, and uh, full disclosure, not Catholic, fact, have quite a few issues with the Catholic faith, and and I have Catholic buddies that I've discussed this with. I've done this on the radio several times before. I've I've had Catholics fill in for me. I've had them come on, and, and we've had those debates. I'm okay with those disagreements. That's fine. Uh, but ultimately, because remember, one of the maxims of the show is disagreement is not hate. Uh, but ultimately, what I do recognize is that being a a organization as a whole that ascribes Christian values, they are coming under attack, just like every other organization that describes Christian values is coming under attack by this same uh dogma of the religion of Black Lives Matter. And so we're going to get into the specifics here, or sorry the uh actually, we're getting into the specifics now. We're going to get into the broader topic here in a second, but ultimately, what he said were just things that were true that the Black Lives Matter organization is taking advantage of people, that they are using black people as pawns. I don't have to repeat myself. I've already done this over and over again on my show. If you're interested in that, feel free to go through my recent uploads. You'll be able to see I did a video about Alabama backing Black Lives Matter and why that's incorrect. I did another video about how Black Lives Matter is just a, a cloak, a shell organization for shoehorning in Marxism which is ironic because the vast majority of black people actually don't like Marxism, they don't want it, but they are being used as tools to push a specific political agenda. But because of this and because of everything that went on, it spurned a a thought process that I've had for a very long time, but I've realized even though I've said this probably a thousand times on the show before at some point or another— I don't know that I've ever actually gone in-depth and explained it, and that is that what we are competing with on the left is a rival religion. It is a rival political philosophy, too, but it went well beyond that actually a very long time ago. Progressivism, from the very beginning, has been a rival religion. You can go all the way back to William Jennings Bryant and then eventually Woodrow Wilson and FDR— and if you understand their mentality, if you understand the religious language that they cloak their uh, political talking points in, and and I'm not talking about necessarily things that do have some kind of moral value to it, like a, a thing like marriage or a thing like abortion. I'm also talking about things that really inherently have absolutely no inherent right or wrong when it comes to an objective moral truth, but because they view they view their religion as the religion of their politics, and they're intermingled with that, then they don't distinguish even on things that have nothing to do with it. William Jennings Bryan was very passionate in talking about, for example, how America will not sacrifice mankind on a cross of gold, talking about something uh, in regard to moving our money off of the gold standard. Now, don't get me wrong, I actually do like the gold standard, and I can give a logical explanation for why we should have never moved off on it, but I don't see it as a moral issue. I don't see it as something that my religion informs me on one way or the other. It never talks about, you can look all through the Bible, I've read it many, many times, you're not going to find anywhere where God commands nations to use a precious metal to back up their paper currency. That's just You're simply not going to find that. It's not in there. And so this is something that progressivism has been doing for a very long time because they are a rival religion. And, and I think that what the reason for that is it all goes back to something very simple that is a truism of human nature. Humans by nature need a thing to believe in. We've always needed a belief system. That's always been true. And what happens in the absence of an actual belief system, a belief system that is based in reality and truth, People start creating ones to fit and to try to plug that hole and fill that gap in their lives where God is supposed to be. This has happened throughout the entirety of human existence. And the reason that I bring that up is because we can see it all throughout human history, too. This is not a new phenomenon. The the problems that we are coming up with, uh, they may have changed forms, but they're ultimately the same problems that humankind has been struggling with ever since everything east of Eden, everything that mankind has been dealing with for that period of time, just like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. All the problems that we have now are old recycled problems that take on new forms. And this is no different. People have always worshipped government or idols or people. This has always been a problem. And that is because human ke- that human beings have a god shaped a god-sized hole in their soul and they have to fill it with something. They got to figure out a way to fill that gap and most of us spend our entire lives trying to figure that out. Some of us are lucky enough to actually find God and and that hole is filled, but considering that God is a being of infinite mass and in an in infinite being by definition then he is the only thing that can possibly fill that gap and so we make attempts to try to cover over that gap with other things, but they ultimately fall short. That's what paganism was. There is no animal in the animal kingdom that when he comes across a meal, he feels some kind of need or obligation to offer prayer to thanks to some kind of God for that meal. That, that is not a compulsion that animals have. Human beings do. Human beings that have never heard of of the God of the Judeo-Christian tradition, that have never heard of Islam, and never heard of Buddhism, none of those things, um, when you go back to it, if they don't have something there, they will create it. We need something to call out to when we're in trouble, when we're afraid, which is part of the human condition. You've heard the expression that there are no atheists in foxholes. Well, that doesn't mean that everybody in a foxhole automatically becomes a Christian that believes in Jesus Christ. What it is saying is, human beings in time of crisis call out to something. And so, this is something that is just a part of human nature. And when people can't find that thing that they need, they create something themselves usually this is referred to as creating God in man's image as opposed to man creating uh, God creating man in his image, which is what the Bible teaches. But the way to help us really understand this, which goes back to human nature and also how people keep getting the wrong idea, we see through paganism and the history of not just biblical history, but secular history telling us that people were doing things like Uh, rape, child sacrifice, and they all considered these things worship to their God. Well, how did they get so far off track? How did they get so wildly outside of what God deemed as good and even calling things that God calls evil as good? I think that a great, great synopsis on how all of this took place, which is very small, very concise, and yet very profound, actually comes from C.S. Lewis. This is a quote from Lewis that he wrote in Mere Christianity. And you can see here where he says, When you come to knowing God, the initiative lies on His side. If He does not show Himself, nothing you can do will enable you to find Him. And in fact, He shows much more of Himself to some than others, not because He has favorites, but because it is impossible for Him to show Himself to a man whose whole mind and character are in the wrong condition." Just as sunlight, though it has no favorites, cannot be reflected in a dusty mirror as clearly as in a clean one. You can put this another way by saying that while in other sciences the instruments you use are things external to yourself, like microscopes and telescopes, the instrument through which you see God is your whole self. And if a man's self is not kept clean and bright, his glimpse of God will be blurred like the moon seen through a dirty telescope. That is why horrible nations have horrible religions. They have been looking at God through a dirty lens. This is one of the most profound quotes in the entirety of of Lewis's writings. And it helps us understand and explain how all of these different nations throughout the entirety of human history came to the conclusions that God would want you To cut up your children and and burn their bodies on an altar to appease some kind of God that looks like a human being with a falcon for a head. These are things that actually happen in human existence that we look back at and we're like, how did they get to that point? But knowing that helps us understand how they got there. And, And coming from a Western mindset, to be honest, we've been incredibly spoiled we don't even realize that this was the norm for humanity up until Christianity came about. This was the default. It was the rule, not the exception. And so now that these things are looked at as cruel and horrible and barbaric, which they are, that was not a common belief back then. And so Christianity really brought about the understanding that those things were wrong, and it helps us understand them now to be wrong, even universally, with people that aren't terribly religious, can look back at it and see how cruel and horrible those things were. But unfortunately, what happens is we're slipping back into paganism, we're slipping back into barbarism, lawlessness, and it's coming primarily through postmodernist theory. But the left, because of postmodernist theory, and that's what the new left has really based itself off of, what they have essentially done is that they have made their own gods and their own alternate religions. Now, there's some overlap here. Just like in Athens, you had the Athenians, that their primary patron god was Athena, the goddess of wisdom. But that didn't mean they didn't believe in Zeus. Like they still believed in Zeus, they still believed in the Greek mythos that Zeus was the king of the gods, all that stuff. And there were other towns around Greece that worshipped primarily Zeus, Ares, Hera, uh, go down the list. They had their, you know, their specialty gods and their patron gods, which they kind of liked the most, but ultimately they believed in the whole of the Parthenon. And so because of that, the left has multiple different gods as well, and we're going to go through two of them tonight. We don't have time to go through all of them. That would just take forever. Uh, but but I'm going to do this to just basically put out there as examples and show you how these things have become new religions. So the first one that I want to look at, since it was the one that is a, the hot... But an issue right now, and the one that kind of started this whole idea to do this show is going to be the intersectionality god, Black Lives Matter. Now, this one's interesting because this goes right along with the lines of gods of old, because in paganism, you essentially have two kinds of gods. Uh, this is an oversimplification, and I understand that, but I'm doing it for the the sake of brevity, which I already struggle with, so I need all the help that I can get. So, when you're talking about most of the ancient pagan gods, you really have two kinds of gods. You have tribalist gods and pagan er, and uh, nature gods. And so we're going to look at one of each category. So the intersectionality god would be a tribalist god that there is a a god, a thing that they worship and they put in place of God. they put something else where God ought to be, and that thing is race. So, just like any other religion, because, again, think about it this way, we're looking at God through a dirty lens, which means that there are aspects of it that are actually correct and rooted in truth, but they get distorted. They're looking at God and they get a, a perverted view of what God is actually like, which results in what Lewis would call the horrible religions. And so Black Lives Matter, the intersectionality group, the people that believe that race is the most important thing, This is where they go wrong. The virtues that they have that they actually are trying to express are equality. Very good thing. We want equality. Christianity teaches equality and and treating other people the same. The kingdom of God has no second-class citizens. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female, bond nor free, so on and so forth. But in their perverted version of it, they believe equality means anybody that was wronged in the past, now they get to lord it over the oppressors, and so the way to create equality in their mind is actually combating racism with more racism. They create equality through embracing inequality. Let's give some advantages to the people that have been disadvantaged in the past. And so this is essentially their mantra. There was, and and again, the reason that I'm going to be drawing back to this is because it's sort of the unbridled look at at the ideology of these people. Uh, There was a speech that was given in the Chaz or the CHOP, which apparently is gone now, but, you know, the autonomous zone up there in Seattle, where they said, okay, what we want to do is we want every white person here to give a black person $10, Uh, which also there was one black guy that was just super enthusiastic about this. You can hear him yelling in the the microphone about how excited he is about getting his $10 from white people. Uh, But on the larger scale... This is something that is true of the larger left as well in the form of reparation. So we'll we'll tax people, and then we'll give it to formerly disadvantaged minority groups. This is part of their religion. And so because of that, this is really what it goes back to, is that they are trying to get to the virtue of equality, but because they're seeing God through a dirty lens, they think the way to reach equality is through inequality, which doesn't make any sense, but that's how they see it. The other virtue that they really try to grasp onto, and and it's achieved in essentially the same way, is benevolence. The problem with it is is that their benevolence is conditional upon not the individual, which is the way that the church preaches it, that if there is somebody that needs help, we, we help out those people, and we do so out of the goodness of our own heart. Their perverted version of benevolence is we're going to go to the perceived oppressor, and take their stuff and then give it to somebody else. So this is a, a a perversion of the biblical virtue of benevolence where people give of their own accord and voluntarily work and, and give part of the the fruit of their labor to help out those that are in need. This is, we're going to go seek out people that are creating things, take it from them by force, and then redistribute it to the people that we think actually deserve it. And so again, they're trying to get to an actual virtue, but it's manifesting itself in the wrong way because they are looking through looking at God through a dirty lens. They do have, just like a religion, religious rituals. And in this particular case, that religious ritual would be protest and or riots. And there have been a lot of people on the left that now that denounce the riots. There have also been an awful lot of people on the left that have either condoned or at least defended and been apologists for the riots and basically saying, okay, yeah, well, it's wrong, but it's understandable. Uh, We have leftist politicians that have actually gone out of their way to make sure that people that are doing illegal things, as long as it's in the name of the virtue that they see as good— They will actually not arrest those people, not prosecute them. They'll leave them alone. The mayor of Baltimore actually said, all right, just give them some space to be able to riot and and do some property damage. We'll just give them that space and, and call the police off. In Seattle, they actually told the police to abandon their police precinct. And so this is a religious ritual that they go through. This is sort of the form that it takes every time that Black Lives Matter winds up as a national news story, which ironically happens every election year. Weird how that Takes place, But every time that that happens, you see exactly the same thing, that the way they engage in the expression of their religion is through property damage. And yes, like I said, there are going to be some people on the left that try to cover for that or say that, well, they're, they're mostly peaceful or whatever. But then there are also people, especially even leaders in this group, one of the leaders of the autonomous zone, uh, and, and by the way, an actual elected official in the city of Seattle, uh, actually said that the that it was understandable and justified, and they are tearing up things because that's the way that it ought to be. Uh, the um, what was it was it Army Horowitz, I think was the one who put that up that uh, did the interview with her, and was just asking the questions about the the riots and the property damage. And said yes, this is something that we have to do. It's it's something that ought to be done. Uh, And, you know, people justified even tearing down black businesses, for example, saying that that was white money. And so this is a thing that is a part of their religious expression in their mind when it comes to sacrifice, because every religion involves some form of sacrifice. Like I've said, animals don't feel a need to make sacrifice to a god. Humans have that instinctively. Now, in the case of Christianity, our sacrifice is Jesus Christ. We don't have to make animal sacrifices the way that the Jews did. That system has now ended for us. But the sacrifice is still there. That's still an aspect of religion, and that is something that is played out constantly and something that is repeated constantly in the form of the communion. And so this is something that we very readily understand that religion has to have some kind of sacrifice. Well, in the case of sacrificing to the race god— The sacrifice that is being made are these neighborhoods. Uh, that, That same video that I was referencing just a second ago, and this is something that has been repeated with multiple people that have been interviewed with Black Lives Matter that are engaged in these things. They say, well, we have to burn it down in order to build it all back up, and we're never going to get where we need to go. We're never going to be able to fulfill our religion, another way of stating it. We're never going to be able to exercise our religion, our belief system, unless we burn everything down so it can be built back up again. See, that is their sacrifice. Just like we say, well, if Jesus Christ had not died, if he had not given his life as an atonement, then we could not accomplish the purpose of our religion, which is to save souls from sin. That's the same thing for them. When they say that it has to be burned down, that is the sacrifice that they are willing to make in order to achieve the point of their new religion. And the redemption ritual, which again, every religion has. The redemption ritual for them is something that we're seeing over and over again. It's a constant apology for past wrongs. We've seen this with the way that they engage in bully tactics, saying that basically you are Racist until you prove that you're not racist and every white person is guilty of race and everybody has to apologize and you're all guilty regardless of what you have done, regardless of the personal decisions that you've made. Even if you've never actually done any racist things in your life, you still have to be in a mode of constant redemption. You have to constantly repent and apologize for that or else you cannot be accepted into the religion. It's very different than the Christianity's, uh, Christianity's view of redemption, where uh, we may still sin, we may may still make mistakes and need to ask for forgiveness for new sins that we have done since we've been saved. But ultimately, that's a one-time thing for us. You ask for forgiveness, and then you are cleansed from your sin in the water of baptism, you are raised as a new creature, and you may have to ask forgiveness for future sins then, but the status of being baptized and being w- within the body of Christ, that is something that happens, and, and you are that way from then on. You can, of course, fall from grace, but ultimately that is a the asking for forgiveness may continue on, but the redemption ritual happens once. Not so here. The redemption r- ritual is a constant thing, and even then they still might not accept you. Uh, we've seen countless videos over the past weeks of white people bowing down and asking forgiveness of black people, uh, literally being commanded to get down on their knees and ask for forgiveness and to apologize for things like white power and white supremacy, uh, even if they haven't engaged in that stuff themselves, washing people's feet, ritualistically asking for redemption. And so this is something that we see constantly with them. And, and this is another interesting part, just like every other religion, there is an origin story. So, for Christians and Jews, Garden of Eden. God creates man, man falls from the perfection in which he is created, and thus is now a part of sin. He is uh, now able to engage in sin, and Adam has to work by the sweat of his brow, and eventually that culminates and is resolved with Jesus Christ on the cross. In their religion the origin story, is that Africa and the Americas were basically a natural utopia where there were no problems until the white man came. This is something that gets repeated over and over again. That's the reason that now one of the targets on their radar is Christopher Columbus, because there is a myth that goes around that basically the Americas, North and South America, were perfectly peaceful. There were no problems, no wars. The Americans were largely pacifists that lived in some kind of crazy Marxist commune, where they didn't have possessions, they didn't understand private property, and because of that, everything was good and perfect and they never had any problems. Same thing with Africa. There is a mythology that, before the uh, influence of the British Empire, that Africa was basically exactly the same thing, and that we should really be moving back to a society more like that, with communal property and, and being part of the tribe, as opposed to what happened with the influence of Christendom in Western civilization. So this is the myth, this is the origin story that they subscribe to, is that basically their world, the tribalist world, because again this is a tribal god, was perfect in Africa and in the Americas until the imperialist, the colonialist, came And I'm not saying that everything they did was right or anything. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not trying to justify anything that the British Empire or other European nations did. All I'm saying is that is their origin story, that everything was good and pristine and perfect before then. And it wasn't until Europeans and white people started showing up that all of that got ruined. And now they're trying to essentially get back to that. So that was sort of the, uh, the origin story. And just like every other religion, they have an apocalypse story, too. And interestingly enough, it's the same apocalypse story that virtually every single branch of religion inside the left has. A Marxist utopia. Instead of Christianity, where we believe that there is no such thing as a perfect world, and that there will always be sin, there will always be problems, and the only way to escape that is that once you are in Jesus Christ, once you die, you are then able to be with God and be in his presence and live in heaven, that that is the utopia... They believe that an actual Marxist utopia can be established here. They believe that they can essentially go back to the way that the Americas and Africa were before colonialism happened. And so that's the sort of utopia they think that they can eventually return to, just like uh, the symbolism given in the Book of Revelation and symbolism of heaven is tied back to the perfection in which man was created, the Garden of Eden, their religion plays along the same lines, that there was this pristine natural paradise, and then we will eventually return to that same natural paradise once the the sin of whiteness has been wiped away. And so, just to give you sort of a contrast, to help you understand that this is the same kind of thinking that goes on in all branches of leftism, environmentalism is the same thing. Now, this is the other kind of God, because what do environmentalists worship They worship the earth. So this would be a nature god, not a tribal god. But it has a lot of the same aspects and a lot of the same things as any other rival religion. So the perverted virtues that they have are stewardship and self-denial. These are two things that are held up as virtues when it comes to Christianity because we believe that God put us on the earth, just like Adam was charged with the job of tending the garden and taking care of it, naming the animals, taking care of them, that kind of thing, and that later on we see his descendants, Abraham was charged with being essentially the, careta- the caretaker of the Holy Land in Canaan, then his descendants went to Egypt and then came back and inherited the land that he was promised, there is a aspect of stewardship connected with that and that all humankind bears a responsibility to take care of the blessings that God has given to us. This is a virtue that is reiterated in the New Testament with the parable of the talents, for example, that the things that God has given to us as a blessing, we have a responsibility to use those things wisely and for his purpose. So this is a good thing. But they pervert that by saying that we should do so at our own expense. See, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we have these things because they are useful to us. We are concerned with the environment because they are good for mankind. It is a good thing for mankind because of our relationship to God to take care of the land, to take care of our blessings, to take care of one another, so on and so forth. The environmentalist basically views mankind as a cancer and a virus that has infected the world, and thus we have to do everything we can to limit our interaction with it and limit our use of its resources. That's the difference. But it's, the, it's a perverted virtue. There is a, an underlying tone that is good, and then they pervert it because they're still looking at God through a dirty lens. The same thing happens with self-denial. Self-denial is something that is a good thing. Now, granted, you can go too far with it for sure, and and we actually just had a lesson, what is it, two or three chaplains reports ago where we were talking about how sometimes fasting is actually bad, and the the Bible does teach that there are certain times where it's appropriate and certain times where it's not. Well, this is the same thing. Self-denial is something that is really paramount when it comes to Christian virtues. Take up your cross and follow me. You're supposed to deny yourself. That's how that verse starts out. So, self-denial is a virtue in Christendom. But they take it to an insane level to where self-denial is basically anything that is helpful or convenient or improves our lives is bad because we're using up the natural resources, which is a heresy to our religion that revolves around worshiping the earth. Now, there's quite a bit of hypocrisy in all of this, don't get me wrong, but that's at least the stated virtue, the stated value system that they will give you when it comes to their religious ritual, basically this one takes a lot of different forms, but it's all kind of goes back to just communing with nature generally. Uh, You know, like just being around nature, gardening, composting, that kind of thing, which those things in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad. In fact, they can be a good thing, although I do find it hilarious that a lot of the people that that try to do this and go this route, uh, because of that, they actually wind up using more things like pesticides and pollutants than the land would have on it if they didn't do any of those things not always but that is a constant you know that that is a a typical thing that happens when they try to do this communing with nature thing is they wind up actually doing more harm than good more more often than not but um one of my favorite ones is when they were uh the big protests that they were doing against oil and they all uh in a sign of solidarity canoed out to the oil rig, and they were all but like one or two of them were in plastic canoes, which would mean that they were canoes created by oil. So same kind of thing. Yes, there is hypocrisy there. And yes, we rightfully so make fun of it and poke at it. But ultimately, that is their stated goal. That is their stated desire. And so they put virtue on some kind of communing with nature. Their sacrifice is modern convenience. We already talked about this a little bit So, basically, any kind of modern convenience, whether it's air travel, Greta Thunberg, for example, made a big deal about taking a boat to a climate summit in South America as opposed to flying, which is also funny because it actually turned out that her carbon footprint was made larger by that because the crew for the ship had to fly back. But ultimately, (laughs) so that one kind of backfired on her. But ultimately, that is the sacrifice that they say that we need to be willing to make, that we need to give up our modern conveniences, we need to give up, you know, having a refrigerator in the house or driving around in our cars all the time, that kind of thing. And that we have to give up those modern conveniences, and that is the sacrifice they will make to appease their god of the earth. And then the redemption ritual is reducing the carbon footprint. Al Gore pays homage to this one quite a bit. He'll say essentially something to the effect of, well, yes, I do you know, put several school buses worth of carbon emissions into the atmosphere every year by flying around and traveling and talking to people about the environment, but I'm offsetting it by planting trees. And so, see, this is the redemption ritual. There is a thing that I do to offset my sin of using air travel. And so there is a redemption ritual involved in that is trying to to make yourself... Uh, to, for, to reduce your carbon footprint to the point that it doesn't exist. It's, it's basically you know, negating your presence here on earth and the resources that you use, which is ridiculous. And it, it would be almost impossible to actually gauge that impact, but that's what they claim. And so that is their redemption ritual. Their origin story is actually pretty darn similar to the one that we already looked at with black lives matter um it's just that theirs goes a little bit deeper so basically all of the earth not just africa and the americas but all of the earth was basically a paradise before mankind infected it so again they kind of see mankind as greedy and resource hungry and when we use resources it's bad now when uh, different animal species use resources then that's fine and acceptable because they're part of nature but for some reason even though they believe that we are just animals somehow we're not a part of nature i know it doesn't make any sense but it's their stated ideal And so basically, the Earth was perfect before mankind, and now that mankind is here, it is now made imperfect. But the answer to that is essentially the same thing as the answer for the race god that that people on the left worship, which is Marxist utopia, that if we just do all the things that they do, if we just spend the $50 trillion over 10 years that AOC is calling for, that we will eventually get to the point to where we're all just living in some kind of hippie commune that is powered by solar panels. Which is also hilarious because it's also incredible. There's lots of pollution that goes into the earth by manufacturing solar panels. But again, I won't get off into all of that. Ultimately, what I'm trying to say is their goal is essentially the same. And the fact that they have a similar goal is part of the reason that these seemingly different and sometimes even contradictory groups wind up allying with one another because they see their biggest rival as the other religions in towns. In this case, the religious right, evangelicals, Catholics that that actually subscribe to a Judeo-Christian worldview, that kind of thing. And the interesting thing about this is another thing that they sort of hold in common is that they are both theocratic. So the interesting thing about whether it's environmentalism or whether it's race or whether it's a number of different things, sexuality would have been another one that we could do, where, where they essentially hold that sex is the god that they worship. Uh, that's true for the LGBTQ plus five silent, a crowd, whatever they are. Uh, that is a religion and I could go down the list and do one for them as well. There are several other different special interest groups within the left that have similar religious like, um, affinities, and like I said, there is some, some crossover and some overlap where they essentially believe in the other gods maybe just as much as their own patron god, there's just one that they kind of worship more than the others, but ultimately this is exactly what is going on in modern America, but one thing that they all have in common on the left is that they are all theocratic. Just like Islam, for example, It is a theocratic religion. It's not something that is like Christianity to where you can have your religion over here and you can have your political beliefs over here, which, by the way, there's going to be some overlap of that too, and I understand that, but my point is they're not the same thing. A person can be a Christian in a secularist atheist country and be no less Christian if they were in America or lived in the Vatican. You know, even if you're living in an overtly Christian country, Your ability to be Christian is not lessened if you're living in a completely secular country or an Islamic country. So that's something where Christianity doesn't rely on the government. It doesn't have to have government. It's not a theocracy. But this is. They believe that the only way to achieve this goal of Marxist utopia, which is the goal of all of the gods that the left worships, The only way to get there is to have the government basically pound it down everybody else's throat. That's the reason that it wasn't enough to just, you know, if you're a a lesbian or a gay couple, to just live together and to just do your own thing. It wasn't enough for that. They wanted the government to actually acknowledge that. They wanted the government to hand them a piece of paper that said, yes, this is actually a marriage. That's why that was important to them is because all of these sub-religions that are competing in the left, they do need the government's endorsement. See, they don't have objective truth. They don't have God. And so they need a community of agreement to basically stand around and tell them that they are correct. They don't have a higher authority to answer to other than government. And because government is their god, that's ultimately the acknowledgement that they seek and that's what they want. And so all of these little subreligions are theocratic in nature. They feel that they have to have a government to implement their thing. Because, like I said, when it comes to the goal of being some kind of Marxist utopia you can't achieve a redemption from the sin of causing climate change unless you have the government enforce it. They don't see that as something that the individual can't achieve. It has to be all of us together. It's collective salvation. There's no such thing as individual salvation. It has to be done as a group. And so, ultimately, that is where they come down on. That is the sort of Marxist utopia that they are all chasing. Now, What this all really does point to, though, is that when you do misunderstand God, you will misunderstand what he wants. When they are looking at God through a dirty lens, and remember, as Lewis just put out there in his metaphor, the lens is us. The lens is who we are. The lens is our virtues, our values, the kind of soul that we are, and there are Christians that certainly have dirt on their lens, That there is, is some kind of spot or stain of sin that remains that needs to be cleansed away, and that's why you have to prepare yourself to see God correctly. This is the reason that we have ritualistic washing in the Old Testament to symbolize the ritualistic washing of the soul that is needed in the New Testament. That when you come before a holy God, there is an expectation of cleanliness and presentation. And it's the same thing here is that When people misunderstand God, when they have something that is causing them to get a perverted view of who God is, they are necessarily going to get a perverted view of what God wants. If they think that the God is the earth, and they think that the earth is very fragile and can be harmed by mankind, of course they're going to think that what that God would want is for mankind to stop doing things that hurts that God. Same thing is true for race. Same thing is true for sexuality. Same thing is true for any of the other things that people could worship in the place of God. And so that's how they wind up getting it so incredibly wrong. But ultimately, the only solution for this, the only possible solution for this, because these are rival religions, is to return to the Judeo-Christian principle. That's what I tell people all the time, and I have people sometimes that tell me, granted, this doesn't happen often because I do live in the South, I live in the Bible Belt, but especially with people that aren't from around here, they'll try to, you know, their criticism of me will be something to the effect of Caleb, look, I understand that your religion and I appreciate that, but ultimately, this God stuff is not going to be the answer to the political problems. Well, in this particular case, yes, it is. Because they're not just a rival political ideology, There are actually a rival religion, and you cannot defeat a religion with a political ideology. It doesn't happen. It cannot work. So the only way that we're going to get ourselves out of this mess, the only way America actually returns to the nation that it was always intended to be, as John Adams said, a moral and religious people, is to have the right religion in place, one that where we have a value, culturally a value, Of liberty. And that is never going to happen with these other religions because they are theocratic in nature. They need the blunt force of law to strangle people into compliance. Their religion doesn't work any other way. Christianity does. And that's something that we have to understand. And the only way that we are going to be able to defeat these incorrect religions is with the one true religion. And so it goes much deeper than just convincing somebody to be economically conservative, even though I think that's a a worthy endeavor. Ultimately, what it is going to to have to go back to is a shift in worldview away from the new pagan gods and to the god of the Bible. It's the only way out of this mess. Stay the course, friends. Tactics with Caleb Colquitt only on News Radio 1440 and NewsRadio1440.com.